reading from the Hebrew Bible, the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give to you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, open our hearts. Recently, I've been in a few meetings, uh, some of them Zoom, some of them in person where the facilitator of the meeting has used a new tool called a Jamboard. Anybody used a Jamboard yet? I want to do kind of like a verbal Jamboard with you to kick this off. I want to ask you this question. I want you to shout out your answers. What memories, stories, or concerns come up for you when you think of the concept or the word missions? White saviorism, good. Keep it going. What's that? Poverty porn. Good. Keep going. Power dynamics. Good. 500 years of bad haircuts. That's what Richard Twist called it. <laughs> Sustainability. Good. Keep going. Are you noticing a theme? Missions uh, is a bit problematic. Can we say that? Um, Particularly the way missions has been conducted uh, over the last few centuries. Um, I share those concerns. And so that's why I think it's important this morning that we name this elephant in the room. Missions. 
Because here at Roots, we talk about being a community of misfits on a mission. What does that even mean? What should that mean? And does the history of the Moravian Church have anything to teach us about this? Obviously, we can't be comprehensive this morning. It would bore you to tears. But maybe we can talk about some pitfalls and things that we can avoid. And maybe the history of the Moravian Church has something to teach us about that. Um, when I was 19, I moved to New Orleans to attend Bible college. And I chose a specific Bible college for a reason, because it offered hands-on, practical, urban ministry experience. Uh, uh, chaplaincy in youth detention centers, chaplaincy in prisons, um, chaplaincy in homeless shelters. I even had a tent revival class. How to throw a tent revival. That was a class. This school was specifically focused on something they called urban missions. In fact, it was very distinct from what you would call urban ministry. Now, it took me a little while to figure out what that distinction was, but when I figured it out, um, it was basically that for them, urban missions was focused on winning souls, and urban ministry was focused on handouts. Knowing this church the way I do, I'm sure not very many of you are surprised by that. That's pretty typical of evangelicals, and in this case, Pentecostals. Um, but this false dichotomy between justice and evangelism is false. It's a false dichotomy between serving people and saving people. In fact, this distinction uh, is typified for me in an experience that I had at Bible College. At Bible College, um, I was standing next to the president, which wasn't that impressive because it was a small school, but I was talking to the president, and we were in a housing project in New Orleans made famous by Master P, the rapper Master P, called the Calio. And there was an 18-wheeler semi-truck full of groceries. And our students, students from our school, were recruited to be the distributors of these groceries. So we were passing these groceries out uh, in the Calio. And the president of the school turned to me and said, the groceries are like the bait. And getting people to pray the sinner's prayer is the hook. And it wasn't the first time in my life that I'd been disgusted by such comments, but it felt like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And so I said back to him, shouldn't we just give hungry people groceries because they're hungry? And he was routinely pretty flummoxed by me, so I think he just, like, exasperatedly walked away, you know? Um, but this was the beginning for me of a new way of viewing God's mission and the mission of the church. As someone who grew up desperately poor and um, with food insecurity and violent neighborhoods and abuse, I knew in my bones that salvation was more than saying a prayer and getting an invisible ticket to heaven when you die. I knew that my salvation was holistic, that I wasn't just saved because I now knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was saved because God had wrapped me in community and had helped me get a job, helped me get a place to live, helped me get food to eat. So I'd also seen that salvation 
was not something just for individuals, that God was saving the whole world. So my experience as a child and a teenager sensitized me to the liberating and restorative nature of God's saving work in Christ. And my relationship with people who come from more collectivist cultures had challenged my assumptions around individualism. Thankfully, I had other professors in Bible college. I had this wonderful professor who introduced me to this book um, when I was a freshman. It's by Cornelius Plantinga Jr., who's a Reformed thinker at a Pentecostal Bible college of all places. And the book is called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's a book about sin, but instead of being a book about moralistic rules of do's and don'ts, it's a book about God's dream for the world and how that dream gets interrupted. Plantinga introduced me to the Hebraic concept of shalom, which we translate into English as peace, but it means so much more than that. Shalom is God's dream for the world. It's not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. God's dream of shalom for the world isn't people obeying arbitrary laws. It's people living and thriving in harmony and wholeness. God's dream of shalom for the world isn't protection of God's fragile ego. It's the world participating in God's extravagant love and partnering with God in stewarding the world as God's representatives. So in this way of thinking about sin, it reframes God's mission in the world. Sin is no longer the breaking of the law alone or doing something wrong. Sin becomes perversion, corruption, disintegration of God's good creation. Anything that disrupts the dynamic of love between God and creation, between humanity and humanity, and between humanity and creation. This expansive view of sin as shalom interruption opened my eyes to, a more to more fully understand God's expansive mission in the world. God isn't just interested in people saying a prayer and someday going to heaven when they die. God's mission is more fundamental than that, more primal than that, more rooted than that. God's mission in the world is to restore shalom. And in fact, this is what we see in Jeremiah. In this prophecy of Jeremiah, we hear it today probably as good news. But if you understand the context, the original audience of this prophecy would have heard it as bad news. They were being lied to by false prophets who were telling them they were going to be airlifted out of Babylon, that they were going to get out of there any day now. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, settle down roots. Get comfortable, because as, you, as Babylon prospers, you will prosper. Perhaps the most troubling part of this is that we often want Babylon to struggle and to be destroyed. But God tells Israel in this prophecy that your destiny is tied to Babylon's destiny. It reminds me a lot of what Dr. King once said in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he said, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men, all people, are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. 
I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. It reminds me of something Dr. Perkins, uh, who's a famous pioneer of incarnational urban ministry, Dr. Perkins would often say, to serve people the way Jesus served us, we have to share in their destiny. But for far too long, Western forms of Christianity have disconnected soul from body and believer from neighbor. We've built higher walls where God has called us to build bigger tables. We've separated ourselves out and thought that we were better than other people, that we were going to be airlifted out of here someday. And that type of mission hasn't done anything to produce shalom. Shalom is produced when we integrate soul and body, believer and neighbor. Shalom is produced when disciples of Jesus are salt and light in the world. Shalom shalom is produced when Christians are more concerned about the welfare of our neighbors than the welfare of our Christianity. Shalom is produced when we, like Jesus, think of the needs of others as interconnected with our own needs and love them with the same kind of love that we give ourselves. I believe Roots is that kind of community. I believe that we dream of God's shalom for the world to come to fruition. I believe that we're rooted and invested in the the prosperity of our neighbors and our neighborhoods. We want to see people live in harmony. We want to see barriers to flourishing torn down. We want to see oppressive systems dismantled. We want to see a world in which people are honored for who they are, not put into categories relegated to second-class citizenship. We want to see God's shalom cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. So that brings me to this important question. Does that vision align with the vision of the Moravian Church? Does the Moravian tradition have the theological and ecclesiological resources to incorporate that vision? Last Sunday, I got to share this story before Oshida's uh, sermon about what they call Moravian Pentecost, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on those Christian refugees who took refuge in Saxony on the estate of Count Zinzendorf, And we're united in one spirit. And I told you that two facts emerged from that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. First fact is that there was a round-the-clock prayer watch that lasted over 100 years. Second fact is that hundreds of missionaries were sent out around the world, more missionaries in 25 years than in the previous 200 years. But here I want to be careful. I want to be clear that I have no interest in whitewashing the history of the Moravian Church. In fact, to do so would be very un-Moravian as far as I can tell. Because so far, in my interactions with the Moravians, they have pointed out to me their flaws. They have been very humble and very honest about their failures and their mistakes. When I was saying something very positive about Moravian missions, President Betsy Miller corrected me and she said, the one thing we did right was we gave people Jesus. And that meant a lot to me. Because that meant that she understood that a lot of what Moravians consider incidentals, cultural things like Western culture, they ended up being imposed on those that they evangelized. Moravians were not the earliest abolitionists. 
They did not oppose the institution of slavery in the 1700s. In fact, in some places, Moravians participated in the practice of slavery, and that is appalling. I can't call it anything else but that. The convictions of Moravians that Native Americans and enslaved Africans were fellow human beings worthy of God's love and grace should have led them to overthrow the institution of slavery, but it didn't. Where I see capacity in the Moravian church for our vision of shalom is in their reckoning with this legacy of systemic racism, their owning of their own sins, their humility and their passion for truth, and their openness to see their own historic sins laid bare. They aren't trying to hide them. They aren't trying to deny them. They are repentant. Like this. A group of pastors have been gathering together for the last few years and taking pilgrimages down to Montgomery, Alabama as a part of a racial justice and healing cohort. This was the most recent cohort that went down. President Betsy Miller is in the middle. And next to her is Dr. Amy Godis Lumen, who's the pastor of Waconia Moravian, just 45 minutes west of here. I see hope in this initiative, and I see hope in this initiative, that at Moravian University, they held recently a symposium on race, slavery, and land, in which a Jamaican Moravian pastor named Dr. Winnell Curtin Roberts gave a lecture called, Did You See My Chains? An Inquiry into the Moravian Mission in Barbados, 1795 to 1834. I see hope in initiatives like these. These are pay-what-you-can cafes in, in Milwaukee and in Bethlehem. These are for people who can't afford the conveniences that you and I can afford. I see hope in those, those kind of initiatives. One of the things I'm most hopeful about is this initiative in Green Bay, Wisconsin. A new community is forming there called You Belong. And it's a community dedicated to accessibility and people of all abilities worshiping together. But you know what I'm most hopeful about? I'm most hopeful about us. I think Roots can bring vision to the Moravian church and vitality to the Moravian church that can rekindle some of that missional spirit but reframe missions with the concept of shalom. This is what it says in the ground of the unity, the Moravian's doctrinal statement. It says, Jesus Christ maintains in love and faithfulness his commitment to this fallen world. Therefore, we must remain concerned for this world. We may not withdraw from it through indifference, pride, or fear. Together with the universal Christian church, the Unitas Fratrum challenges humanity with the message of the love of God, striving to promote the peace of the world and seeking to attain what is best for all. For the sake of this world, the Unitas Fratrum hopes for and looks to the day when the victory of Christ will be manifest over sin and death and the new world will appear. What if missions was never about converting people in the first place. What if, mission, what if the mission that Jesus sent us on was about sharing the good news of the kingdom of God? What if the mission that Jesus sends us on was always about sharing peace with others? 
What if the mission Jesus sends us on was always about declaring and demonstrating God's victory over sin and death? What does it say? When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever, you, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. What if mission was never about converting people, but about sharing the peaceable kingdom of God? Did I miss the part where Jesus taught them how to argue with people? Did I miss that part? Did I miss the part where Jesus taught an apologetic seminar? Did I miss the part where Jesus told them that, to tell them they were going to hell? Did I miss that part? Maybe much of Western Christianity has misunderstood the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself not argue with them about the finer points of soteriology, right? There's this famous story. Um, it's, a, it's a study conducted by Asbury Seminary. Two different entrepreneurial missions agencies went to Thailand. One team was dubbed the Converters because their posture and approach was that all their economic development work was simply so they could produce conversions. But another team that went at the same time was dubbed the blessers because when asked what their primary purpose was, their answer reflected a sincere desire for the Thai, sincere concern for the Thai people, a desire to help people in many aspects of their lives, such as financially, in their families, as well as to grow an understanding of Christianity. This orientation included conversion but only as an aspect of a larger purpose and vision. Now, we might be tempted to think that the team that focused on being a blessing to their neighbors and not on conversions saw fewer conversions overall. But the study demonstrated that the opposite was true. The blessers saw nearly 100 people become Christ followers, while the converters saw only two. When I, when I look around this room, at the people who call Roots home. I see people who seek to be a blessing to their neighbors. I see people who use their gifts in different aspects of the world. There's people in this room that use their gifts in education, in economic development, medicine, publishing, accessibility, health equity, mobility, research, music, and the arts. Seeking the shalom of the city doesn't just mean working in the nonprofit sector or being a pastor. There are missional ways of living into the corporate world as well. And I can't think of anything more radical these days than raising our children to be peacemakers. We are called by Jesus to spread the good news of the kingdom of God in word and deed. We're misfits, we're misfits on a mission because we're committed to making Roots a place of refuge and belonging. 
So I want to challenge you this week. My challenge is this. As you go about your work, whatever it is you do for work, whether it's in an office or a classroom or in front of a computer screen or caring for babies, I want to invite you to widen your view of God's mission in the world. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. You are salt and light. You are living the mission of God through your work. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you so much that you have already conquered sin and death. You are already victorious. And we merely get to participate in your victory. Thank you that we are called on a mission that is already successful because of you. Help us to to see the vision of a world made right, a world of harmony and justice and wholeness, and help us to see our role in that mission, whatever it is that we contribute, our unique gifts, our unique talents, our contribution. Would you give us a wider, broader, thicker understanding of your mission in the world? your vision, your dream of shalom for the world. I pray for this congregation that we would be agents of reconciliation, ministers of the kingdom. We would see our work as uniting people to you and uniting people to one another and uniting people with creation and caring for your creation. Would you pour out your spirit on this congregation and send us out just as you sent out the 72? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.